Hello, welcome to Blue Water School of Ministry. We are in How to Prepare a Bible Message, Chapter 7. Today is, what, August the 24th, 25th, 2020. Everybody got your books open, ready to go? Father, we thank you for your presence and for your blessing, Lord, to help us learn of you and how to best present your word according to the Holy Ghost and fire. Lord, we want to we want to bring the word in demonstration, not in word un- only, not in deed only, but in demonstration also. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 7, the proposition. Give the definition of the proposition. What is the proposition in a homiletical setting? Mm-hmm. A simple declaration of the subject a preacher intends to discuss, develop, prove, or explain in the sermon. And that was on page 129, right there in italics at the top of the page. <laughs> Number two, list four other names given for the proposition. This is big idea and letter idea subject sentence. Yes. The thesis, big idea, homiletic idea, or subject sentence. And um, in the following chapters, he's going to use the words big idea, I think, more than anything else. So. <laughs> and that is what your, pat- your constituents want to know when they come to church. The congregation wants to know. What's the big idea? That's the, that's the main um, thing that you're trying to propose to them. Mm-hmm. Let them know what you're talking about. Yeah. That is the simple declaration of the subject the preacher intends to discuss. <laughs> All right, number three. Give two main reasons why the proposition is so important. It's the foundation of the entire sermon indicates to the congregation the course of the sermon. Yes. And that was on page 130. It is the foundation of the entire sermon. And it clearly indicates to the congregation the course of the sermon, which is on page 131. We're all caught up. Alright, number four. This is so exciting. List the four steps in the process of developing the proposition. Found on page 132. Is it how you pronounce it? That's pretty good. Study of the passage. Statement of the Ezechitical idea. What is it? Sentence? That's the last word. Sentence? I just saw scorched off on there. Okay. Um, So that was also starts on page 132. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly. I think different people would, you know, probably pronounce the word differently from different regions. Um, I say it exegetical. Exegetical, yes. Exegetical. Um, it comes from the word exegesis. I was, I was doing it's that. Okay. Nice. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's one of those words you have to practice. To remember the jetical. We probably aren't going to say this word a whole lot, but if you start talking to people who want to argue with you about, I don't know, different things, and they all, they're going to throw that word around. Very critical. What you say? This is a big idea. Yeah, they're going to throw that word around. You'll know right away. <laughs> but 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but out there on the east, on the east coast where they have all these uh, big churches, I think this would. Mm-hmm. They probably this was probably used. The, the but semi- over here on the reservation, it's like. Your seminary students, the ones that yeah. go to those, you know, and pay hundreds, thousands of dollars to go to college or whatever, they're probably going to use that word. And and um, actually, someone had um, tried to bring it up with me the other day, and um, thankfully I had, you know, seen it enough often enough to know what it, what it means. And then I was just like, you know, your 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 argument's invalid. You're using some nice big words, but it, no. <laughs> Ended up uh, shutting that whole conversation down. They all Over here left. We, we use this, uh, not, not this kind of words, but this is way advanced for them. Mm-hmm. But something like um, comp- compromising, those kind of words, mm-hmm. they, they don't understand. So you kind of have to break it down and, and interpret and have who. Yeah. So they can understand what, the, what it means. Yes. Did, so. did you look the word up last night? Did you write it, write it down? I didn't write it down. Did he, Marjorie? Did you look it up? Which one? Exegetical. I did. Oh, you did. That's the only way I could understand it. Good. Other, other than that, I, will, I, will I forgot to write it down too. Um, it says critical interpretation or explanation of the text. Yeah. And and uh, critical is the only one that critical means it's very important. Yes. Yeah. And see that, even that, saying something's critical, other people might think that you're being, um, that you meant, you know, like, talking down to somebody, because lots of times we think of that word as somebody being mean to us. So it's good that you broke it even, even down even further to explain what critical means. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. You're a good teacher. That's so good. you have to kind of break it down to them to see, even down to explaining it now. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I get stuck in that. Yeah, I used to speak fluent English all the new Navajo all the time, and I never had problem. Pastor Tart is is dominant in English, so a lot of it because of him being like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of my my Navajo words are fading away. From yeah, me. I think you know, it, when we're not when we don't use it, uh, our whatever your first language or your second language, it begins to fade, and um, so it's. I spoke better Navajo before I moved on this side than I do now. Now I just. I used to get spanked in boarding school mm-hmm. talking in Navajo because they want us to, to learn how to speak English. So mm-hmm. I used to get spots on my hands with a ruler and it hurt. Did it make you want to use Navajo more? It did. <laughs> more chumps. Custom up Navajo. <laughs> <laughs> All in here. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Um, number five. In what way does the exegetical idea differ from the proposition or homiletical idea? Is on page one thirty-six. Maybe Devon would like to share it with us. She's good at putting it into her own words. I put the. What's the word? Exegetical. Exegetical idea. And then I just underlined it and put a colon beside it and wrote a statement in a single sentence of what the text actually says versus a proposition consists of the main spiritual truth the passage intends to convey. You copied it straight from that book. Put it, put it yeah, yeah, you care. You so made it fit. So what's the difference? So I mean, the, the difference, well, I guess she is... Um, just saying that one is like this and one is like that. So the exegetical idea is a statement in a single sentence where that act uh, of what the text actually says, whereas a, um, the proposition or homiletical idea actually consists of the main spiritual truth the passage intends to convey. So it's it's um one is about like a clear statement. The first one, exegetical idea, is a clear critical, like important, clear statement in a single sentence where the um, proposition or homiletical idea may not be one single sentence and it, it will contain 
that spiritual truth that your that your God has given you to convey to your people to, to communicate to your people. So it may be. Um, I think they give some examples of it before or after this. So a statement for a proposition is in a succinct or in in order forceful sentence but the proposition I'm just looking over the, the way they wrote it trying to make it easier I'm probably making it more confusing it's not necessarily um, a single sentence but it could be the proposition homiletical idea but it's going to um, bring forth a the script the, the spiritual truth that you're wanting to convey communicate so why, why don't you make an example like, um, like why don't John 3 <laughs> what? what I don't I mean, know <laughs> Maybe like simple one like John three sixteen, would it work? Well, um, yes. Like you, you saying it's very important. It's talking about salvation. So yeah, so you could say um. The the cost or the value of salvation. What is it? What? How much does your salvation mean to God? So you could um. That could be your um exegetical idea statement and then your um but then a proposition would be more like um your your salvation is worth more than life it's worth you know you could put it into some some sort of words like that so that, because it that's how what's what, what it costs the lord is his life it costs god the life of his son mm -hmm. um so it's Y'all got something? Okay. We need, I, I struggle. We need Oral Roberts University on the hotline. I struggle with number five. It was tough, yeah. I mean, it's easy to copy the answer, but yeah. the comprehension of what they're really saying yeah. is something we you kind of need to think on and look back at once you write down that answer, then go back and look at it again, those, um, those paragraphs that they wrote and the examples that they gave. It might make it a little more clear. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the proposition clearly indicates to the congregation the course of the sermon and the and gives and that that's the, the foundation of it. So you would think that they're a lot, they're very, very much alike. It's just the way that, that it's uh, written or presented. It's not um, because they're all, how's it say, in, in what way does the, ex, ex, they're all ideas that you're conveying to your congregation. You have some examples in your book. Can you show me the, where the examples are? Exegetical would be more of a full, fleshed out explanation, fully encompassing scripture, right? Get their attention. That's a question. Oh, I thought you were making a statement. Not yet. Okay, ask me again. Um, an exegetical outline, whatever, would be more like a fully fleshed out explanation of the scripture. 
whereas the proposition would just be bringing forth the main idea presented by the scripture. In this case, there's probably two to three main ideas in John 3.16. Mm -hmm. Let's see, what's the main spiritual connotation to John Main, main spiritual truth. So, we should, you should search something simple. I, I think I'll understand that better than you guys just talking about. Yeah, we're actually trying to figure it out ourselves how to put it into words right now because um, they, they talk about it in the book, but I guess we, it wasn't clear enough for us to. So, we do need to re revisit this and think about it a little bit further. Mm. Maybe the people that are giving us this test or whatever, they think they want us just to know the difference, but we will actually have to use it out there and help them tell us. Because we don't I mean, we're, we probably don't think about it like that. So it's like, um, you know, when you teach your children how to, how to make a sentence, just, you know, very, very basically, you know, they, they just learn from hearing you say the dog ran across the street and they don't think about there's a subject, a verb, a preposition. What does a preposition modify? What does a verb modify? They don't think about all that. They're just, they're just stating the, the truth that they see. And in a proper sentence, they don't, they're not even thinking about it. So um, what they're trying to do is make us break it down and really think about the formulation of how to communicate um, your exegetical idea versus your um, proposition or homiletical idea. And there, so there's a difference between them. And so we need to understand that there's a difference between the exegetical idea, that's what they want us to understand, and the proposition or homiletical idea. So, but basically, it's just trying to break it down. The basic way to say it is that the exegetical one is going to be the one that puts it into that clear, basic statement: Jesus died for you. But then the um, that would be the proposition. That would be the proposition. Yeah. Okay, and then the exegetical idea would be that. Okay, so yeah, because it's more so, that God gave His only Son, so that you're seeing that whole that that cost. What did it cost God? For, for the exegetical, um, you would, for instance, talk about who God is, why God loves, and like flesh it out as much as possible. In one sentence? Yeah. It's a, why is she doing this? It's a critical explanation. So exegetical will be um, based, just based on John 3.16. Okay, let's look at page 133. I'm not going to pretend to know this. <laughs> We're going to look at the book. 133? Yeah. So he says, in 133, he says, um, starting with the second paragraph, below are four passages from which we will formulate exegetical ideas. It is beyond the scope of this textbook to do the exegetical work on these texts. So we will assume that this necessary study has already been done. So we're assuming that you've already studied Matthew, Matt, I can't Mark. even say Mark, Marthy. Matthew, Marthy. Mark Marthy. 16, <laughs> 1 through 4. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, Salam, <laughs> Salami, she's hungry. Rot spices. spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the next of the week, Jesus God, yes. somebody else read. <laughs> Let me put these glasses on. <laughs> I never heard you laugh like that. That's great. <laughs> That's worth it. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone was very large and had been rolled away. In our search for the subject of this passage we just read, we ask, who or what is this passage all about? Is it about the spices or the stone, or does it have to do with the problem that the women discuss? Who's going to roll away the stone? As we study the passage, it becomes clear that the main idea centers upon the women but then we ask, which women? 
or who were these women? Further reflection indicates that the essential element in the narrative is the women who came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. Thus we have the subject of the text. The subject of the text is these women who came to anoint the body of Jesus. Okay, so that's the subject. We now search for the complement to find out what the passage tells us about these women. We soon gather several facts, such as the names of the women, the day they went to the tomb, the spices they brought with them, the time of day when they came, the conversation they had with each other, the problem that they discussed, and the way it was unexpectedly resolved. There are too many facts here to, to list in a comprehensive sentence, and we therefore sum, up, sum them up into compliments first. They were troubled. They were troubled that the stone was too big for them to roll away. And secondly, they found later that the stone had been removed before they ever reached the tomb. Our next task is to state the basic idea of the passage, that is, the subject and the complement, in a single and complete sentence. The woman or women who came to the empty tomb to anoint the body of Jesus worried about a problem that was too big for them, but it was resolved before they ever had to face it. We use Galatians 3.13 as our second example. Okay, so what did we gather from what we just read? This is supposed to be the exegetical the main idea is the woman, right? statement of the exegetical idea of the passage. So the exegetical idea of the passage is that the women who came to the empty tomb to anoint the body of Jesus worried about a problem that was too big for them but it was resolved before they ever had to face it. So that's not going to be, um, the, just as a reminder, this is not your introduction. This is something that's going to come up near the end of your closing, right? At the end of the introduction. In, end of the introduction, yes. At the end of the introduction. According to Stone. James Braga. All right, so let's look at the second one. Maybe this is, is this helping? A little? Kind of. So it's, it's one of those things that's kind of like riding a bike, too. The more you do it, if you if you go through and break your 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 scriptures down like this and look at them, the asking the who's and the what's and things like that, it's going to help you analyze it and help you come up with these things. I think that Marjorie kind of already does this. Yeah, we have a name for it. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, you you so in a way like would it be like explaining? Yeah, explanation sort of. Mm -hmm. Kind of you know expounding on it, but but you're you're not but, taking but it. You're bringing it all yeah, into one so single. So like what's going on on this particular day? You know. Mm -hmm. So it was just the idea. Ordinary, so he did all this stuff to come to one sentence. Where's the one sentence? That is one sentence right there. Just something like that. Yeah, exactly. So, so, it, you're, so you're sorry, so you're like sort of explaining. Like for me, uh, I would like um, the truth in, in this one um, explain it more. <laughs> I mean, like maybe throw out a question. You know, what what were they doing here? You know, what were these ladies doing here? You know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, so you would ask, they, you kind of ask yourself that question, and then you had that, and then you, what, you know, what, what happened, what, you know, what was going on in this paragraph, and they're, in that paragraph they were having, or that passage, they were troubled with, who's going to move the stone? You know, we're all excited, we're going out here and going to do this, but who's going to move the stone? But, um, so you have that bringing together the whole concept of what's happening, um, in a one clear and simple sentence, and that is your one clear and simple sentence right there. It's one sentence. And then the proposition would be, and I propose to you that if God can roll that stone away, 
for the ladies. If he could send the angels to roll the stone away, then he can roll the stone away in your life. That's your proposition. Ooh, see how it works? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> it would be it would be nice if they would bring it all together in one thing. That um, I, while I'm thinking about it, I want to ask you a question. Um, at the end of this, I know I already know the the answer to some of what you said. But um, one of the questions, one of the exercises was to go look up um, sermons by other ministers. Do y'all have access to us sermons by other ministers? Do you have any books? I don't either. So, um... contradicts what um, we were taught in a couple of chapters back where oh shoot who said it <laughs> this one guy he said that um, the sermons a sermon isn't meant to be reread and read and reread it's just meant to be brought to that your congregation that day but people do have books of people's sermons there are books for um, trying to think of somebody Pentecostal y'all help me <laughs> probably um Wayman Mean probably definitely does but I don't know if he has them you know open for like the character thing that you told one time the character something about Esther um I don't know I don't remember Joseph Prince yeah <laughs> um <laughs> that character thing that he was Oh yeah, yeah. The, the in our something, something in our first four, four things that our first uh, classes, yeah. yeah. Um, that's that was written by Wayman Ming, but I, I think that was more of a teaching than it was a a sermon. Um, but there are sermons by John G. Lake, for instance, that you could you could go and find a book or or, or read a sermon that was written out by John G. Lake. Um, I don't know about A.A. Allen and if you can actually, you can watch the, their videos or listen to their audio, but I don't think there's a... Shambach? Shambach, there, Shambach has a lot of publications out there. I'm not sure if they have just straight up his sermons. He wrote a lot of books. Anyway, so what they were saying was, you know, if you, if you had access to that, they wanted you to go read several sermons and then kind of look at how it was broken down from that. Um, so, which how would you know which ones um, the truth ones? The, the uh, true what ones. I would do is I would just read it and then just to write the sample. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So just so that I know, know like maybe the truth or not true. Uh huh. <laughs> so uh, it's on the Holy Spirit, as I say. <laughs> the Holy Holy Ghost bear witness, um, but um, on page eighteen it says read the three sermons each by a different preacher and formulate a suitable proposition for each. So here's one. Um, I wonder if what's his name, California Blake, Jam Lake? No. Oh, Jack oh. Hafer. Yeah, Jack, Jack Hafer. Hafer. <laughs> Jack Hafer probably has written out sermons that you could probably look yeah, at. Yeah, but they're not. To me, they're not sermons. They're just like books, like. Yeah, no, no, it wouldn't be in a book. It would have to be. The ones that one time what I saw was, um, a, um, how to write uh, sermons for for three hundred for every Sundays, mm -hmm. and and it was written in. Um, this type of form, yeah. Like maybe the, the Sunday you can, and it, it, it had everything. Not it had everything, but brought up the 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 the, the proposition. Mm -hmm. It didn't do, it. and then it had. Do you have divisions? The minister's manual. No. And this is not oh, okay. I know where it is. So, but I, I I just looked at it. Just wonder if it was in there. Yeah. So that that one I saw. Mm hmm. Well, no, I mean like just just, just for really, study. If it's, I, if I you can, what Reservoir just at least you get some some ideas. You're not copying it, but yeah, like this one. You kind of so that you can see how this is what yeah. they're saying. I mean, is, it, 
and like when you when when I'm doing mine, I actually don't. I mean, go deep into it, like this, like some of some of them are, like the good shepherds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then like he puts more into it, and I never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. and they don't I mean, give us a. a comprehensive you know they don't yeah. actually give us a written sermon to look at so yeah. you're having to figure it out and put it together that, as you go through that, I mean you're figuring it out mm -hmm. I mean you're making your brain work and you're actually looking at the word and what I think is too is um from where we where we're sitting compared to I don't know like we were talking about with seminary students or someone that grew up in a in a ecclesiastical church where they always did always you know, followed these formulas where we all grew up it's not like that and we grew up where it just we whatever comes to you that's what comes out of your mouth and you deliver it and <laughs> there it is and there's nothing wrong with that because we're you know you want to be led by the spirit but what this is about is just like going to school and learning how to write sentences and how to communicate a good letter or how to you know, do these things. There's the when Paul wrote letters, he was writing a letter. It's not the same way as when Paul stood up and preached. And when pre Paul preached to the Greek philosophers, that's right. He would preach differently than when he would preach to the Greek fishermen. So that's what this is about. Just communication. Started, it, it, for me, I was like introduction, explanation. Illustration and application; mm -hmm. those were the four main points that I was given. I, and I've always yeah. done it that way. Where this one is like, it's breaking it down and make it more. Messing me up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let this mess you up. That's okay. you know, so, but but let it. But then, like, it does make you think. Like this proposition and in like and the division, the subdivision, mm -hmm. all that. It does. So it's like because. When I write mine, I, I don't do I don't do it like the way this book has it, the sample thing. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have it like that. I ha yeah, I have an indent, maybe like the main point right here. And then I would write it, but then, uh, well, the history in high school it was indent. So mm -hmm. Yeah. From there, and then from there, I would like maybe uh, letter one, mm -hmm. and then small letter A. So that was how. Yeah. Uh, we were taught, so that's how I have been doing it. Mm -hmm. But uh, this one's kind of making it go even further. Yeah. Where you ask questions, where mm -hmm. you interrogate. Yeah, that one. And even saying, uh, don't do the same formula every single week. It says, I think in chapter 8, it tells us don't do the same exact same formula, but I, maybe because then. You know, your sheep know where you're going. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So collected those surveys. What did we do with it? Um, they just wanted you to read over them and see how, you know, someone that's, that has it broken down like that so that you could see it. But then they wanted you to um, formulate your own suitable proposition for each. So even though you're looking Actually, at... you're not getting your idea. You're doing kind of like that. Yeah, it's just an Wouldn't exercise. That, if yeah. we get our own ideas, would that be... Um, Plagiarism? <laughs> Well, if you preach directly from their sermon, but I have heard that book you just had in your hand, the other homiletics, homiletics. I have heard people preach those same messages. I have heard it before. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they was led by the Spirit. I'm just oh. saying. <laughs> and how is the Holy Ghost going to draw people to repentance if you're not led by the Spirit? Mm -mm -mm. So are there any examples in that book of a... Uh, I'm sorry, I should have done this earlier. There's invitations and it's mostly like weddings and funerals, dedications. Okay, well, there's a, here's a funeral sermon. So in your um, minister's manual, there are some sermons. So you can actually look at these and um, say, okay, so where, after I read this, where, what would my proposition be? What would I propose if I were to preach this message? What would I propose? And then just write down some proposal ideas. It's just an exercise to, like you said, to get your brain um, thinking about presenting these points to your congregation so that they are aware of what God is bringing, bringing forth. Because sometimes we have we have a, a big idea. God's revealed it to us. We have revelation. 
but sometimes putting it into words it seems a little we get a little tongue-tied and so when we meditate on it and think on it and look at it from you know certain different angles I think they're just trying to teach us to look at it and observe what God is showing us mm -hmm. so that we can communicate it effectively and to not do it like formally but to have everything decent and in order yeah I mean if I just you know there are times when God's just gonna and he just gives you a word and you just stand up and you just share this word and that's all I have to say and God said leave it there I've had him say okay just stop just leave it there because the people's hearts are prepared for what they need to hear or that it was clear enough and you don't need to add to it or take away but as a, and as pastors and as ministers preaching the word we must be able to communicate and I mean I, I know we've all been to events where some people could speak really well but the Holy Ghost wasn't in it we want to be able to be effective speakers good speakers the best of what God has called us to do. So I hope that I brought some clarity to that without getting it too confusing. But I think it's just, you know, it's just exercising over it and understanding. And then he gives us more examples on page 134, 135 of the exegetical, um, how to get to that exegetical um, statement or idea. And then... Is it before or after the next one? In page 139, he starts explaining about the proposition, and he gives examples of how to how to bring that proposition out. And that's what the exercise is at the end of the uh, chapter. So on page um, 140, he gives, um, saying the subject sentence must be an explicit and positive assertion, not a negative one. A statement like, we honor the Lord when we praise him for his benefits is a declarative assertion one like we do not honor the Lord when we complain about our circumstances is a negative statement in the following outline <laughs> in the following outline note how the proposition is expressed in a positive declarative sentence or declarative or declarative sentence this is on page 140 the title the life of dependence is and here's the proposition the Christian life is a life of constant dependence. And then he gives several scriptures from Titus, 1 Peter, James, and John about how showing that we are dependent, we should be dependent on Christ. And, um, and then in his points he has, that's not a quotation from Titus, it says we are dependent upon Christ for salvation. But then he gives a scripture that, you know, to go read that scripture. So um, he brings out the point for him and these are notes your your outline is for you to follow so it needs to be something that you can follow that you can bring the message if that makes sense if you make it too complicated and you're going to get lost in your in your outline or whatever notes you might have written down then don't do it <laughs> um, if you but you know you can practice from it and it's just something to, to reference to go back to to keep you from running down those rabbit trails and falling in the wonderland hole that makes any sense. Okay. Anybody else? So, so up here on this paragraph, it says, um, "We do not honor the Lord when we complain about our circumstances." Mm -hmm. Is he saying that um, if we complain too much, God doesn't look at it like accept? Accept? Does he? He doesn't accept it. Is that what he's saying? Um. Well, okay, so first, mainly what the, the author is saying is he's telling us that you could say it this way or you could say it this way, but the right way to say it is in a positive statement. So the positive statement would be, we honor the Lord when we praise him for his benefits. You don't want to get up and say, you don't honor God when you complain about your circumstances. That might be something that comes out. It might come out while you're preaching, you know, to give them that one side to the other that fear in them <laughs> but um because you know if we don't honor god and if we're not honoring god then we're like the children of israel and that's how you end up yeah. wandering around but sure. what we want them to understand is that when we honor the lord when we praise him for everything that he's done that what god brought out friday night being thankful for what god has given us the things that god provides to us so being thankful and giving praise to him for every little thing and looking for reasons to praise him looking for reasons to thank him 
and um, allowing God to show us those things. So it, it's, see now y'all got me started on something totally different. So he's, it's what he's bringing down, bringing it down to is this outline that he has here of uh, his proposition is that the Christian life is a life of constant dependence. And he breaks that down to four points of constant dependence, according to the scripture. I'm sure there's a lot more. But what he's, um, he's that's you know just something to back up his statement. So anytime you give a proposition, you want something to back that up. Like when I said, um, if God can roll back the stone for Mary and the other ladies, then he can roll back the stone in your life. Well, are there some other scriptures? Or are we just going to base it on that one scripture? Is there some some other things to show us that um, God is a God of deliverance and He wants to open doors? Seem to be lost. I don't know what it is. We'll take it. <laughs> it's like a pallet of um, heater pellets. Yeah. All right. So it bears, you know, if you have some extra time, go back and, and look at it and maybe practice with it a little bit more. Number six. Let's move on. List the seven principles for the formulation of the proposition. Okay. Starting on page 139, and um, all of these are italicized, but um, I do encourage you, if you didn't read it, to go back and read everything in between the italicized words. Okay. <laughs> Number six. A. It, the, the first one, it should be a statement expressing in a complete sentence the one main idea. Number two, or B, it should be a declarative sentence. Number C, a timeless truth stated in the present tense. Yes. D, should be stated simply and clearly. Mm -hmm. And E, should be the assertion Yes, and F should be specific. Mm -hmm. And G uh, should be stated as a concisely as possible without sacrificing clarity. Yeah, very good. Any questions on number six? All right, number seven. How is the proposition usually connected to the sermon outline? By a question followed by a transitional sentence. Yes, very good. And number eight, what is a good test of structural unity in an outline? In an outline is to see if you can apply the same keyword to each of the main divisions. Does that make sense? And number nine, where should the proposition generally appear in the sermon outline? At the end of the introduction. Yes, at the end of the introduction. So number eight was yeah, on page 146. <laughs> yep. The introduction leads us to the propositions which together with the etc. 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 So the uh where should the proposition generally appear in the sermon outline at the end of the intro? Very good. We already know. Nobody did number one. We didn't have any sermons. They should provide us with sermons. All right, number two. Um, Formulate a correct proposition for each of the following textual sermon outlines which appear in chapter 2. Did anybody do that one? Um, where he says, uh, number 2, putting first things first. When I, The first thing I thought of was actually an example he had already given in the book on another page here. Let's see if I can find it again. But, um... When you see first things first, that is um, someone's textual sermon outline. So that's like, I don't know, 
Anyway, so what would be a proposition, a good, correct proposition for that? Did you do any of them? No. So mine was just, you know, putting God first and having some scripture to back that up where it says, you know, that we have to you know, seek you the Lord, seek you first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will follow. So things like that. So the first one, um, I just put God first, dot, dot, dot. That was my, I know that's not much of a proposition, but. You could put it um, into words like, that was just my thought, so I just jotted it down. I didn't have much time. So a proposition would be to put it into a, a better statement than that, but um, I can't think of anything better than the Word of God where it says, if you seek you first, the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will follow. So when we put God at the head, and then you look at the scriptures of how a family is supposed to be structured, God must be at the head. In the beginning, God. So you have several scriptures um, that go with that. So you could take any of those and make um, a good proposition out of it. Amen? All right. So just so that, again, these are good things to practice with. What are the, you know, the joy of Resurrection Day? What is the joy of Resurrection Day? Is it something that happened 2,000 years ago? Or is it something that's alive in you today? And um, I just wrote, you know, we must, what was it, the um, First Thessalonians? That we are to remind each other of these things, that, the, that um, Jesus is coming back again. So the, the, the joy of Resurrection Day is he is resurrected. We do serve a risen king, and he's coming again. So we could, that, that's a sentence right there. It's a good proposition. Encourage one another with, with these Things. All right, let's go on to chapter 8 then. Page 161, chapter 8. I'm going to turn this off and turn it back on. Sorry, Jit. Okay, here we are in chapter 8 of How to Prepare Bible Messages, and we are talking about the divisions. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, finally, we get to discuss these divisions that he's been talking about. So, so um, we're on page 19 in your workbook, talking about divisions. Number one, give the definition of the divisions. Yes, the main sections of an orderly sermon, and that is page 161. List four ways divisions are of value to the preacher. Yes. Promote clarity of thought is number or letter A. B. Yes. To promote unity of thought is B. C. Assist the preacher in the proper treatment of his subject. Yes. And e, D. Enable the preacher to remember the, the main points of his sermon. Yes. So those are those are some good reasons right there, huh? We have those divisions. They help us to uh, think about things clearly and help other people think about it. At, what we're saying clearly so they're not walking out of here going what did I just spend the last hour of my life listening to you want them to receive it and hear it and be able to apply it number three list two ways divisions are of value of value to the congregation make the main points clear assist the memory in recalling the main features of the sermon yes very good page 163 uh, number four, list the nine principles for the preparation of the main divisions found in the textbook. The main division should grow out of the proposition which each division contributing to development. Okay. B? <coughs> Somebody else. <laughs> should be distinct. <gasps> Should be distinct from one another. Okay, good. Devana? Should be arranged in some form of progression. Okay, Stone is absent at the moment, so I'll do D. When the proposition is a statement that requires validation or, or proof, the main division should adequately defend the thesis. That's on page 167. E, Marie? Each, each main division should contain a single basic idea. Yes. F? The main division should be stated clearly with each division related to the interrogative. Interrogative. 
transitional sentence in such a way that they express a complete idea. Yes, very good. Interrogative. Interrogative and transitional. Or extraterrestrial. Just kidding. All right, G. It should be as few main divisions as possible. Yes. H. The plan should vary from week to week. Your plan should vary from week to week. I. Should have a parallel, parallel structure. Very good. Parallelum. I wanted to know why he said the sermon should vary from week to week. He says on page 172, we should not use the same plan week after week. Instead, we should vary the number of divisions according to the content of the text or the subject treated. In delivery, it is also wise to vary the manner of introduction and divisions. Referring to the number of, div of each division is a common way to call attention to the movement from one division to the next. However, instead of saying first, second, third, and fourth, we could introduce divisions with words such as to begin with, again, furthermore, and once again. And finally, a preacher can use these and similar expressions as he makes the transition from the proposition to the first main division and from one divi main division to the next. So there you go. Um, And he even goes on to say in the last paragraph on that, on page 172, under certain circumstances, it may be desirable to dispense or do away with uh, the formal declaration of the main division. So you don't always have to do that. And lots of times we don't. Right? Right. So we can't print off one outline worksheet for like as many Sundays as there are in a year. <laughs> yes and no. I think that um, I wouldn't, of course I'm not going to suggest it. I know you're kind of trying to be funny, but um, <laughs> but there I have seen them and um, they usually give like more space than you need. So that say this week, say uh, whatever passage you're drawing from it only has two or three main points and then the next one might have four or five so there's room on those outline printable sheets that you can be flexible Makes sense. and you could even like if you needed to you could say oh, let's let's not say want number one here let's say first firstly secondly thirdly <laughs> but I have heard you know there there are different ways to do it and lots of times as a minister you might get caught up in what you're saying and forget to point out that you just pointed out the the, the third or fourth point, point. Yeah. and sometimes there are people that are so um, analytical they'll get lost in the fact that you didn't say what the third point was so if you train your people to look for those points then they're going to be looking for them mm -hmm. and they might get hung up wondering where the point is instead of rolling on with you so just be mindful of these things. Number five, on page 20 in your notebook, there cannot be less than how many divisions? Two. Two divisions in a sermon for the simple reason that... When something's divided, it results in at least two parts. Yes. All right. Number six, it is well that an outline be limited to a maximum of how many main divisions? Four? What did I write down? I wrote down seven. Okay, where did we get our answer? I don't know. Page 171. What'd you get, Marie? Blank. <laughs> blank. <laughs> I drew a blank. Okay, so on page 171, um, it is well. Is it seven? You found it? Seven. It's the sentence near the last one. I skipped right over it then. Oh, yep. 
you should limit an outline to a maximum of seven main divisions right there okay uh, number seven so what is it hmm? does say three or four right there it does yeah because I almost wrote three or four three or four is best but no more than seven so you might write and write that out right underneath there. Three or four is best. All right, number seven. What is meant by parallel structure in a sermon outline? Parallel structure. It's on page 173. It is an arrangement of the outline in symmetrical form so that the, the divisions are balanced and match one another. This means that the main heading of the sermon will follow a uniform pattern. In the first division, if the first division is a phrase, the other divisions should also consist of phrases instead of sentences or single words. If the first point is a question, the other points should, be like, should likewise be questions. Okay, number eight, just as the transitional sentence is necessary to form a smooth connection between the proposition and the body of the sermon, carefully constructed blanks are also needed when moving from one main division to the sermon to the text. Of the sermon to the text. Transitions? Yes, transitions. Number nine, what is the primary function of a subdivision? <laughs> to develop the thought contained in the main division. All right, in the number 10, list four distinctive principles for the preparation of the subdivisions. A. Oh, I kept your pencil. Should have parallel structure is B. That's right, Marjorie. On number A. Number B is should have parallel structure. C. Should be limited in number. Mm -hmm. And D. Like the main divisions, the subdivisions do not have to be in the order of the text. Yes. Alright, and then your exercise here was to prepare a topical outline suitable for resurrection morning worship service giving the title, introduction, proposition, interrogative sentence, transitional sentence, main divisions, transitions, or, and subdivisions. Transitions. Anybody do that? <laughs> so transition would be Where where are we? Oh, the transitional sentence. Where did we talk about transitional sentences? Let's see. Oh, you know. Yep. <laughs> That's your exercise. Um, I just was looking for transitional sentence in the back in your subject index back here. And it has D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody would be someone that you could probably could find um, some some uh, sermon outlines. Also, um, somebody else's name I just saw. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, I'm not sure. He was good. What's that other one? The one you like? Um, we all like the most... That little booklet I gave you last week, the little girls on the front. What's his name? That book that I <laughs> oh, um, uh, Caps. Yeah, Charles Caps. There may be some sermon outlines from Charles Caps because they like to write stuff too. But anyway, just just some ideas. Again, and you're just learning ideas and just learning.
things like that. So um, take your time, you know, when you take some time to set yourself apart and practice these exercises, if you will. Maybe practice on your congregation. And then next week, we're going to go ahead and finish chapters 9 and 10. Have a great day.